Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast, where I, Caitlin Fritz, help you reach your entrepreneurial potential. Together, we can build your dream social impact business so that you can leave a legacy beyond your nine to five. Hello there, and welcome to this episode of Everyday Entrepreneurship. I'm so excited to have you here. The weather has finally turned in the UK, so it's a beautiful August day when I'm recording this. And welcome to any new listeners. My name is Caitlin Fritz, and I'm thrilled to be here with you today. For some of those who may not know my journey, I had a very untraditional path to entrepreneurship, becoming an edtech founder in 2018 of a cultural education platform for children. I've had the highs, the lows, the failures, and everything in between you can expect in the founder journey. And then, oh yes, let's just sprinkle COVID on top. I'm interviewing someone today who I met quite early on. We were both part of a similar accelerator tech for good fund called Bethnal Green Ventures. And I actually sat in on her interview for The Accelerator. And since then, I have been absolutely impressed with all the work she's done in her business and in her life. So today, I want to introduce you to Suzanne Noble. She's the co-founder of the Startup School for Seniors. Now, she's an award-winning entrepreneur. She's been supporting people over 50 turn their idea into a business. She shows that there is no wrong age to start a business, and all you need to do is spot opportunities. I would call her a serial entrepreneur, but she calls herself a serial business builder. She's been recognized by The Guardian, Telegraph, BBC for her work with Startup School for Seniors. But guess what? She has been founding businesses since the 90s. She's absolutely incredible, vivacious, and the work she is doing is absolutely changing the startup scene, making it more inclusive and accessible to people of all ages. So have a listen on some of the things we talk about here with Suzanne. So um, I have Suzanne here with us today, and I've been following her now for over five years, what she's been doing in the entrepreneurship and impact space. She's an absolute inspiration. And today, I'm here to talk to her about her latest venture, the Startup School for Seniors. So Suzanne, thank you so much for being here. But before we jump into your latest venture, how did you get started in the world of entrepreneurship? Well, I don't really like to call it entrepreneurship because mainly I'm just a bit obsessed with starting businesses, much probably to everyone's horror sometimes. (laughs) Back when I was in my 20s, I was working in television production and actually more like video production back then, corporate video production, making expensive videos for people like BT and stuff and my girlfriends and I had an idea for a TV series about astrology so every weekend we used to get together and we used to come up with different ideas until eventually we created a proposal which we took to channel four and we met a very handsome commissioning editor 
called Stephen Garrett, who was absolutely gorgeous and delightful. And he was the commissioning editor for youth. And we were three girls with blonde hair and red lipstick. Not much has changed there. And we, over the course of two years, developed this program, which eventually got commissioned. And I went off to left my job, produce that program. And after that, I never went back into being employed by anyone. And, that's, and then I was asked to join my then husband's PR agency. And we built that up to quite a decent sized business. And then I set up a baby sling company when I couldn't find one that I liked. And I created a range of sex education videos for adults when I thought what was existing in the market was crap and I wanted to make it better. And I did a home sharing platform, a daily deals aggregator. You know, I just, yeah. Serial entrepreneur, even though you don't like the word. Serial business builder. Yeah, business builder. Let's just call it that. Business builder. That's a good word. Yeah. So then you have this eye for spotting opportunities. What kind of gives you the gumption to actually act on them? Because I feel like everyone can kind of see things that maybe aren't right with the world. But you go out and you produce change, whether it works or it doesn't. How, how did that come to be? I suspect there's a few things. One is that we now live in a time where we can pretty much build stuff almost for free. We can start things off with just the tools that are out there, Google Forms, SurveyMonkey, Google, you know, just website builders, Squarespace, Wix, WordPress, whatever you whatever you want. Back when I was really getting started with our first website, which was in 1995 for the PR agency that I was running with my then husband, we, he said in 1995, we need a website. Now in 1995, there was not, I don't think there was a single PR agency that had a website. And I said, I don't understand why we would need one of those things. And he said, cause we will, people will be using the web and we will need one. And I think at the time we spent about four and a half thousand pounds and it was built in HTML. And I went off and did like a Dreamweaver course so I could edit this very, you know, basic thing. But it was not something that everybody could do. You needed money. And so you were quite limited in, you might have the ideas, but then you'd go off and think, can I actually execute? And you, if you didn't have money, you couldn't execute. So even when I did my, app frugal it's only because i sold my house and i downsized and i had some equity and i was able to invest and i got a startup loan and but even then it was a significant amount of money to build that ios app and to do the marketing whereas nowadays i just tell people your only limit really is your imagination and you can go with no code and you can build basic stuff and you can test things out. So if you're a person like me that spots problems all the time and wants to create solutions, you just think, well, what's the easiest and fastest way I can do this? Well, I can just, you know, I can just do this with the thing that we met on when I was doing Silver Sharers. I met up with a guy. He loved the idea. He was a website product manager. And in a weekend, we just took Wix, two Google Forms, his amazing design skills, which did help, I have to say. And we just went out to the market. And, you know, by the end of the month, 
we'd had a full page in the evening standard and 500 users and, and all of it was just because I was on the phone talking to these people, helping them, hand holding them. It was all very, very, very manual, but it taught me a huge amount about the people that needed the service, what their requirements were, what they were and what were not willing to do. So yeah, it's just nowadays, it's really kind of easy. In fact, it's almost too easy. It, it is. It is. I feel like there are some great ideas that don't turn into great businesses. And then there are some great businesses uh, that don't get executed on because of that mindset of, you know, just putting up your own barriers. So since you have been a serial business builder, you've obviously had some highs and lows throughout the journey. You mentioned going through a manual process. What have you learned through some of those failures? Because I feel like a lot of people wanting to make an impact are afraid to fail, but there's so much value there. So what have you learned? I mean, with silver sharers that eventually became Nestful, it's still, I'm still on a kind of journey with that because I do suspect there are some, some benefits to it. But what I saw was a few things. One is that sometimes when you set something up and, and you really get into the weeds and you're sort of working with people directly and, and they love it because you're, you're basically doing, you're almost like their concierge, right? You're, you're doing everything for them and they love that. Of course, you're not charging them for that at the beginning because you're just building up the knowledge so you're, while you're doing this, you're learning all this stuff about your customers. What I hadn't fully taken on board until we automated a lot of those processes is they didn't want us to. <laughs> they really loved having their hand held. Unfortunately, they weren't willing to spend the amount of money they needed to spend for that level of service. And of course, that's always the thing, isn't it? Is the automation comes at a, a cost, which is you're trying to save the customer money from them having to, you know, for you having to do all that work for them manually. But if you did have to do all that work for them manually, you'd have to charge them thousands of pounds because it would take you so much time to do that. And in my case, I was going to people's houses. I was photographing their homes. Wow. I was literally talking on the phone to the people that were interested in the rooms. I sometimes would bring the people to the place where the room was. I was going to meet the host. I was speaking to the host. I was really getting a sense of the host personality, what their likes and dislikes were. All of those things are, you can say that on a platform, but you can't really feel it, you know, mm -hmm. until you actually meet the person. And sometimes if I'm really honest, I would think to myself, this is like, this is like arranging a marriage. <laughs> they, these people are going to live with them. They're mm -hmm. going to live with them for quite a significant period of time. You really have got to like somebody a lot. And I am essentially arranging this friendship relationship for them. And I don't know if it's going to work because this person seems kind of a little bit challenging. And, and of course, then I couldn't say anything because I, I was thinking, well, but they've got a room. I got to find them somebody. Yeah, there's always that supply demand. But no, I, I completely understand what it's like when you are your business um, in those early days. I can't believe you were photographing. That's like Airbnb style right there. <laughs> yeah, we were literally doing everything and it was so fascinating. But 
and people were going, I, you know, we were getting great testimonials. People were saying, I love this. This is the most amazing service. You're so amazing. It's so wonderful what you're doing and all of that. But I thought this is unsustainable. Mm. And even my then partner, I found him a room and a friend of mine as well, both whom, you know, found them amazing places off the back of speaking to all these people. And my partner at the time said, if I was going to pay for this, I'd need to pay you like 1500 pounds because, because the amount of work that you've done to find me this place. So, but nobody was going to pay that. So sometimes you have to look at, are these people people you think are your customers are you giving them the service they want or are you giving them the service you want them to have mm. in my case we were delivering them what we thought we they wanted but as I discovered what they really wanted was the the old way which was the you can do everything for me I do nothing way yeah and, that, and that's not that's not sustainable as a business no, um so then off the back of that, it feels like you had this spark of inspiration for Startup School for Seniors. How did this come to be? Because I think this is an amazing program. Maybe you can give a quick blurb about what you're doing um, and give us a little backstory. Yeah, I mean, it started actually in 2017. One of my startups called Frugal was invested in by a woman who had run a program helping new mothers start businesses from mainly from home. So creating, you know, monetizable Instagram channels and other things that they could do mainly from home. And she invested in Frugal and she came along and she said, I wonder if this could work for people over 50, because at that time, back in 2017, we were both seeing some of our friends lose their jobs, struggle to know what to do next. So we got some funding from the Paul Hamlin Foundation. It was called the Advantages of Age Business Academy. We ran a pilot program of that in, in real life at Rainmaking Loft in mm. off of Old Street. We wanted a really groovy environment. People could be inspired by, as it turned out, they were a bit overwhelmed by it and a bit freaked out seeing all these young fuzzy people around and felt kind of overshadowed by them. So we learned a bit about that. We ran the program. It was quite successful, but we learned a bunch of stuff that some of these people definitely did not have the mindset to become self-employed. The program itself went on for too long. Some of the curriculum probably wasn't ideal. And so we ran another program called Reset Mindset and Get Ready to Earn, which was more around changing your mindset. That was funded by the big lottery and that was really difficult. That was, again, that was, we did that in a community center. So we ran a few different kinds of iterations. And then um, her husband had some very significant health problems. The program wasn't really working as well as, as, uh, as we would have liked. We had different views on it. And so it kind of just kind of just sat there. And also the main thing was back in 2017, funders didn't really give a shit about over 50s, if I'm honest. They thought they were quite privileged. They were asset owning class. They had jobs. They were like, this is a small group of people who wants to do this. So there wasn't really much enthusiasm from the funders. I was kind of, I was keen to continue with it, 
but not in the way that it was. And I always thought it had the potential to be online with different, just differently. And mm-hmm. another guy had come and approached me and said, tell me about what you're doing. I'm quite curious about this age group. And we just started chewing things out. And I was, he thought it was one thing. And I was telling him, no, no, it doesn't really work like that. These are the people that we're working with. And then the pandemic happened and the funders all said, you guys who have been delivering offline, if you need some financial help to create online versions of your programs, we've got money. And there was a quite a humongous amount of COVID emergency response funding that was being available to charities and social enterprises. I'd already had a developer who was starting to work on this with me and I got that money and I approached that guy who had come and met up with me in a coffee shop and said, look, if I get this cash, do you want to like rebuild this whole thing, rethink, reimagine this whole thing and redo it in a, in a different way? And he said, yeah, sure. And then he went off and forgot about it. (laughs) And then then I got an email saying, yep, you've got the money. So I rang him up and said, we've got the money. And over three months, we created 24 hours of pre-recorded video content, which I have to say was a bit ropey to begin with because we didn't have a bloody clue what we were, you know. I mean, You're learning while doing. <laughs> we were just, and But he was a lean startup guy. So his whole methodology, which I was totally on board with, was he was a massive lean Canvas advocate. He'd run a massive meetup group, the biggest meetup group in the UK for lean Canvas people. And he was all about the lean canvas. And so we decided we were going to structure the whole thing around the lean canvas and, or the business canvas, if you want to call it that. And so we rebuilt that and then ran it again. And it was really super, people just loved it. And then we got more contracts with local authorities. And until last year, we got a significant size grant from the Royal College of Art design age agency to rebuild and reimagine the whole thing. And based upon what we'd learned over the past few years, we made all the videos again. We made them super short. We created super easy workbooks for it. Little teeny assessments made it really easy for people to go through and gave them lots of added value in terms of workshops and one-to-one sessions with me and Mark and experts speaking. I did lots of interviews with people over 50 who were running businesses to understand where they were coming from. And we're now in our 12th cohort of that. Amazing. This one, we had over 300 applicants, which is more than we've had in two years, almost go through the program. So it's like, I feel like it's the switch has been turned on now. You know, when you, when you get to that point in startup land where, where you think, okay, we're we're at that almost at that scaling point now so yeah it's good it's really that's an exciting point to be at though and i think i think there is a real market need for something like this because also starting a business even pre-pandemic to now is two different ways to start a business so like you're constantly becoming aware and you need to have that upskilling now i saw on your website you have also different verticals so you have like the creatives green consultants did that come through your clients or your funding partners how did that those little verticals come to be 
Well, kind of a bit of both. We noticed that the range of people that were coming through, as you would expect with a group of people who are over 50, was incredibly diverse. And designer makers have different requirements for consultants and people that want to run impact businesses, social enterprises, green businesses have different requirements as well, specifically maybe around where the money's coming from. You know, they may like us receive their monies from local authority contracts, but then delivering to people who don't pay. So, you know, it was kind of thinking about all the different configurations of that. And we saw from our funders as well that especially around green now, there's a real demand for people working in the green economy. And they asked us if we could create a sector specific program around that vertical so yeah we said sure most of the curriculum is is similar but we have slight variations to it and of course when we're talking to people depending on their businesses mark's got a lot more experience than i do i would say with designer makers just generally he's worked with a lot of them as a business coach so he's particularly keen on that and he's also a climate coach so green is really important to him well it's important to me as well he's got probably a little bit more of expertise in that. And I've got more kind of general startup being, you know, doing more of these kind of very small to getting bigger businesses. No, I love that. I love that. It's also just staying like ear to the ground to what's happening, because yeah. obviously we, we need to make changes in a lot of spheres in business. But you mentioned, you know, you work with local authorities, partners, various organizations. What kind of hurdles have you experienced, you know, bringing these external collaborators in and how have you overcome them? The biggest thing when you work with the public sector is that typically, depending on which one you're working with and where they're getting their funding from, they have very specific outcomes that they want and need in order for them to claim their funding so they can they can then pass it on to you, right? So Typically, there's quite a substantial application form that people have to fill in that meets the requirements of our funders. And sometimes even that can be a major roadblock in getting people on the program because they see this long form and they just think, what do I need to do this for? Like, what, why am I giving you all this information, especially a group of people who are already feeling quite vulnerable when it comes to the web? And I suppose alongside that comes the fact that most of the local authorities are still pretty unfamiliar with online delivery. So they're applying all the same requirements that they would expect in offline delivery online. So whereas before you might've rocked up in a library and to attend a class or workshop or whatever, and you'd be given a piece of paper and you'd just be told, before we get started, would everybody please fill in the piece of paper in front of you? You did all bring your ID with you, didn't you? As you were asked, la, la, la. And then at the end of the course, they go, before you leave today, we're going to give you another piece of paper for you to fill in. And we're not going to let you basically out of the room, right? Mm -hmm. until you fill it in. And that's so that all that data can be compiled and delivered back to the funder in the format that they need. But of course, when you're doing it online and the course is not being paid for and people are in this complex stage of life, as often older people are looking after family members, looking after kids with their own health and mobility issues, whatever, 
getting all of that information is quite challenging. So we've had to hire somebody who literally just works with us on collecting that data and making sure that we get as much of it as our funder needs to be able to feel happy that we've delivered on our promise and the, and the bid that we've made. So that's kind of probably the most significant thing. It took us a long time to be able to understand how to collect that data efficiently. And sometimes, especially in the early days, we didn't do so well with that. But now our platform is we're getting better at it all the time. And the latest iteration, we've been able to collect pretty much all the data that we needed. Our funders like super happy. <laughs> We've made their life so much easier and it's just better. I suppose the second thing that goes along with that is that when you work with the public sector, there's a lot of paperwork involved. Setting up accounts is difficult. Getting paid on time is not something that is that easy for them. There's a lot of stuff they need to do, again, to be able to draw down the money. So you really have to be thinking way far ahead to make sure that you've got your, you know, your purchase orders and everything's going out, out on their timetable, because it's not like just sending an invoice to a consumer who pays it and you say, once you pay me, I'll deliver. Often you're delivering really sometimes without even having a contract fully signed, you know? So there's a lot of trust involved and there's a lot of understanding how the public sector works and how to work best with them so that they get the information in good time and we get what we need. <laughs> no, I I understand. I, I've written a few grant applications in my day and let me tell you, yeah, they are there's a lot of work. But obviously your funders are happy. You've met their KPIs or their metrics. But like what about you? Like what have been some of your favorite outcomes with the startup school? The best thing is when people tell you, which they often do, that we've transformed their life, that we've filled them with confidence. And sometimes some of these people go off and they get full-time roles that they never thought they'd be able to get, having decided that they don't wanna become self-employed. So they come on the course, we fill them with confidence. They realize all these amazing skills that they've got and their amazing value. And then they go back in and they interview for a job and they get it and they just are really happy. So we've had some people who have gone back into the workplace and really happy that they were able to do that. And then some people for whom they just had this idea for a, for a business and now they're actually doing it and they're getting clients and it's all happening for them, you know, and yeah, it's, it's really rewarding to know that you've, manage to change somebody's life. Oh, no. I mean, it has to be. I've seen your case studies online, and they are absolutely inspiring. Yeah. So I guess now, what does the future of the Startup School for Senior look like? Where does this go in the next two, five years? At the moment, we just on the verge of launching. It's available now, and some people are buying it, but we're just launching this Go at Your Own Pace program, which is our completely self-directed version of the program, which is for us a way of creating an additional revenue stream that's outside of the public sector money and allows us to reach people who perhaps don't qualify for that funding, live in the States, live in other countries. They could live anywhere. So we're just finishing up that 
adding all the different currencies so people can buy it in different prices. And and so I'm really super excited about that because I think it's got loads of potential and we know the curriculum works and we know that people are really enjoying it. And if they want to buy additional one-on-ones with us, they can do that. So that's exciting. We've had lots of inquiries from other countries who want it. And those conversations really haven't progressed much beyond we're quite interested in this. Let's have a chat, but it would be great if in the next few years we could, you know, roll it out to a few other countries. That would be, that would be really great. And I think one of the things that Mark and I have learned is that we have to work out a way that we can move it past us. It always being about us, mm-hmm. about us. I know that some people come on the program because of me or because of Mark or because of both of us. And I love that. And I think it's great, but that's not the most scalable business. And I also have recognized through this process, my own value in what we offer in that, because I have the ability to spot businesses and because I have this humongous network. I often spend time just literally telling people businesses that they could have. Mm. They may come with no idea and just, I'll just say like, what do you like to do? Like, what's your, what are you thinking about? And because they don't really know too much about the types of businesses out there. For instance, we've had quite a lot of older women um, from different cultures who want to start food businesses based upon their own culture. And so their immediate go-to in their head is I might learn, I might make prepared food and sell it to Sainsbury's. (laughs) Why don't we start with making some prepared food and seeing if you can get enough orders on a Friday night, delivering locally in your area from your kitchen and see if there's enough people who just think that the food that you're making and everything is good enough that you can make 20 trays of it and just sell 20 trays for 20 pounds and just make 400 pounds in a, in a, on, in an evening, right? Let's just see mm-hmm. if, you can, if you can do that. And they're like, do people do that? <laughs> and then I, had, I send them, of course, I send them loads of links. And then I tell my son who is a massive foodie and he sends me loads of links. And by the end of it, this, these people who didn't even know this, these were actual businesses that people operate in are going, wow, I didn't even know this was like a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because- no, if you're not in that world, you probably wouldn't. But I spend a lot of time doing that. And I think that's not totally what I'm being. <laughs> just need to multiply your brain, just to scale your brain and your knowledge and your network. It's quite exhausting sometimes. I can imagine. So if you are, so we have social entrepreneurs listening. What piece of advice would you give them if they are starting out their journey? I suppose the biggest thing is around understanding how to measure impact because it's really hard for startup people to understand that. And it's easier for us because we're online. So we have loads of data points. We can see when a person's logged into our platform, whether they've watched a video, whether they've, you know, attended a one-on-one mentoring session, whether they've gone on a workshop, like we take all that attendance and we churn it and we turn it into very 
um, detailed reports, which our funders love because we're able to demonstrate impact. That's not always easy for social impact businesses, especially you know if you are delivering in the real world and and around things like mental health, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's like somebody may come to you um, severely depressed. And then you may go, but you may go on a journey with them that takes like a, you know, a year, maybe it takes longer than a year, right? And you're, and somebody's going to be paying for that person to be going on that journey, and they need to be able to see the evidence that that person is improving. So understanding how you can demonstrate through evidence that what you're doing matters and makes an impact is probably the most important thing if you're going to start a social entrepreneurship or anything around that business and it isn't always easy because it's not the first thing that you think about you're like but I'm helping them and they seem to be growing in confidence they seem to be happier they see well that's all well and good but how are you going to evidence that no that that's so true that is so true I think oftentimes it feels like an afterthought rather than baked into the process Absolutely. of your business yeah for sure so uh, is there anything else you want to add? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that I've learned, two, two main things that I've learned for anybody that is thinking about starting a business is one, is just do something. Just get it out of your head. Just do something. It's always that first step that people are most scared about. But it, as soon as you take it, you realize it's not that scary. So just do something. And the second thing is, never underestimate the importance of speaking to other human beings because the other thing that people do and i'm and i've been one of these people is just go it's such a good idea everybody's gonna love it and then you don't know who's gonna love it and you don't know where these people are that are gonna love it and so you end up you know even though it may not cost you anything to set up an Instagram channel, or it may not cost you much to build a website or it may not cost you much to put your business on a LinkedIn page or whatever, it still means you have to do the work of going to find the customers. So why not do the work of figuring out where they are first before, <laughs> before you waste all your time on something that no one wants? Absolutely. I think that is a huge piece of advice. And Suzanne, if people want to follow you, where can they find you? Where can they find Startup School for Seniors? Uh, well, they can find Startup School for Seniors by just Googling Startup School for Seniors. That's it. Oh, .com is what we are. And we've got a LinkedIn page and we've got a Facebook page and we've got a Facebook group. And yeah, we've got, we're everywhere. It's Instagram, TikTok, everywhere, really. So yeah, they can't avoid us. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Permeating everywhere. Thank you so much, Suzanne. What I love most about talking with Suzanne is her ability to spot an opportunity and take action. She is someone who does not hesitate to iterate a solution, whether that's, you know, creating a website in the 90s to just hacking with Google Forms and no-code solutions to build something that costs no money. What I also really enjoyed about this interview is the fact that she is so real on her journey. 
She shares some of the hurdles she's faced from, you know, building a product that you thought customers want versus what they actually need. She's talked about working with individuals who are often overlooked in the entrepreneurship space. And guess what? Those over the age of 40, I think, have been some of the best and most successful entrepreneurs to date. If you're interested in finding out more about the Startup School for Seniors, I know her next course launches this September. Thank you again, everyone, for listening in. I hope you got a laugh, some bits of inspiration from this interview today. And I'm really looking forward to sharing with you what we have coming up this month. We have Reframing Your Mindset, as well as some of the best tools to build a business with no money. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Everyday Entrepreneurship. To stay tuned and most up to date, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow me, Caitlin Fritz, on Instagram. And if you have any questions about building your business with impact, drop me an email with the link in the show notes. This podcast is produced by the great people at the Podcast Boutique. I look forward to catching up with you next week. See you then.